The city of a thousand planets is under attack. Agents Valerian and Laureline find the threat and eliminate it. Yeah, it sounds pretty grim when you put it like that. Survive 20 minutes without me. Good job, boys. Unbelievable. Valerian, ready PG 13. Hey, folks, this is Rico, and you're listening to another episode of Trex and Sci Fi, your weekly dose. We, we, weekly, weekly, <laughs> weekly dose of geeky goodness. I'm back. Yeah, I was um, gone for a few weeks. Uh, went overseas to Europe, to Germany for work. I'll talk a little bit about that and um, had a guest show and skipped a week because I was traveling and all that, but I am back. Today we're going to talk about, kind of going to give an overview of the Star Trek animated series. That's the main topic. Also going to talk about the Valerian movie, which I just played a little TV spot for that I saw yesterday, and going to talk quite a bit uh, or a fair amount about um, some of the stuff that came out of last weekend's San Diego Comic Con because there was a ton and I want to comment a little bit about that, especially on Star Trek Discovery and so forth. So, um, hey, we've got a lot of talk, a lot to cover, a lot to talk about, and I'm happy to be back uh, podcasting. So uh, let's do this. I'm Captain Kirk. Ladies and gentlemen, may I present the winners of the 74th Annual Hunger Games. We are the men in black. I'm the doctor, by the way. What's your name? Rose. Nice to meet you, Rose. Run for your life. My name is Optimus Prime. I am the Futus of War. Resistance is futile. Jedi's drink flows from the Force, but beware of the dark side. Iron Man, that's kind of catchy. It's got a nice ring to it. I mean, it's not technically accurate. This is a gold titanium alloy. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. This is a reach call. You're listening to Treks and Sci-Fi. Okay, folks, I'm back. I, I'm so out of practice. I don't think I said today is um, July 30th, 2017, and this will be podcast 644, way out of practice. That's what happens when you're gone for a few weeks. Um, yeah, so uh, let's see what should we cover first. I guess um, I had a good trip to Germany. It was a work trip, but I, I had some fun as well, and I was there a couple of years ago. I have a good friend that lives over there, uh, you know, who's always lived over there, a German friend, works for the same company I, I work for. And uh, we're also, uh, we're like um, lost, long lost brothers because he is a huge fan of uh, sci-fi and fantasy, you know, movies, television, books and things, comics. And uh, it, it, it's really pretty remarkable, actually, because we'll, we'll be driving to a customer or doing something and we'll talk about some obscure thing. Uh, and and we both know it, you know. There, there, there's this sort of like levels of fandom and levels of, 
knowledge of old TV shows, of old movies, um, and and we're we're similar age. I think he's a couple of years younger than me or so. But um, but the uh, yeah, I mean, we both love this stuff. He was at Star Wars Celebration in Europe, uh, the previous celebration before the one that was just in Orlando a couple of months ago, and I really had wanted to try to get to that. Uh, it was in London. But I, I wasn't able to anyway. Uh, but had a really good time. Got to catch up on some things, talk about um, talk about what we've been seeing in movies and television. He gave me a few ideas of things to check out that I haven't really uh, like. One, I, I watched a few episodes of Penny Dreadful, but I never uh, c- kept watching it. It was just kind of like too much TV at the time, too many shows to watch. But during the summer right now, it, things have kind of calmed down. So maybe I'll get back to Penny Dreadful. Uh, but um, but yeah, that was a really good trip, really fun time. I actually did a new little thing too. I yeah, I took uh, I took along this little small little Spider-Man, um, kind of a little Lego Spider-Man kind of a guy uh, that I picked up actually years ago when I was in Asia one time, uh, and uh, I um, I took him along with me and he, I took pictures of him everywhere um, in in various photos and things like that. And I was in pictures and. And Thomas, my friend, was in pictures. And anyway, but uh, I had this—I've had this idea since I, I travel for work a, a fair amount that I—I I wanted to bring along something like that um, to uh, to take photos of in different places around the world. I just thought it'd be kind of a fun thing. I even took pictures of him on the plane and and, and stuff. So uh, if you want to follow that, I, I, it was on Facebook. Uh, although it, probably the best thing to do would maybe to be to follow me on Instagram. Rico, R-I-C-O underscore uh, D, D as in Dosti, my last name. So, um, but yeah, that was the trip. And so I've been trying to, I've been kind of scrambling to catch up on some stuff, catch up on sleep. It was weird about the jet lag this time. I felt um, when I got back, the first couple of days I was kind of tired. The middle of last week I was feeling pretty good. And then at the end of the week I was just feeling really drained. Uh, It's like I can't sleep enough almost. I don't know, but I feel pretty good today. Anyway, um, and going over wasn't too bad. I, I, I adjusted pretty well uh, to the to the change in time. So, uh, but uh, I've been trying to catch up on stuff, catch up on Comic Con things, catch up on news, movies, and and so forth. Let's start with um, let's start with uh, the most recent thing I just saw yesterday: Valerian, Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets. This is based on a, uh, it's actually based on a, a, a series of comics or graphic novels, whatever you want to call them, um, that was done um, way back in the, I think in the 70s, uh, by a guy named Pierre Christin, I think is how you say it, and uh, Jean-Claude Misiers, I think is maybe how you say it, he's a French guy. Anyway, it was called Valerian and Loreline. Who are the two main characters in this? They're, they're agents and... Uh, they're, they they basically tried to I don't know stop bad things from happening. We'll just put it that way simply. Uh, but um, it, you know this is kind of a swashbuckling fantasy kind of a film. A couple of young young uh, agents are trying to um, Valerian, who is the guy played by Dane DeHaan, and uh, also his partner uh, Sergeant Loreline, uh, played by Cara Delavine. I think is how you say it, Delavine, uh, who is uh, from London, uh, British actress. Anyway, and we have Clive Owen in this, Rihanna's in this, Ethan Hawke, uh, 
and a uh, pretty good cast, I thought. Um, I enjoyed the movie quite a bit. Uh, it is, uh, you know, very much like Luke Besson is the director. And if you saw and enjoyed Fifth Element, there's a lot of very colorful visual style to this movie like The Fifth Element has. You'll see similarities in a way to the look and feel of it. Uh, it is, um, you know, th- this kind of falls into the category to me of, of you know, different things that they've done, like the John Carter movie over the years, the uh, Fifth Element movie, these fantasy-type uh, films that, in you know, have creatures in them and, and j- just are more more sci fantasy than sci sci fiction you know science fiction uh, but but kind of a star wars swashbuckly kind of a movie in a field they have a ship they they fly around in of uh, valerian and, and loreline and and try to stop this you know thing from happening and this uh investigate uh what's going on and there there's you know some really incredible style and look oh, rutger hauer is also in this movie although he's not um got a really big part but uh yeah i i liked it quite a bit um i know it's not doing that this is i don't know every summer there's a couple of movies at least on the list of movies i see that that fall into this category of i think it's over to overload almost because you know this movie cost a lot to make like 170 some million and i think it's only made about 20 million or 30 million so far maybe something like that it's 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 really unfortunate because I think if this had come out at a different time of the year, I think it would have done better. Uh, I think it's a fun movie. I think it's a movie that even you know, not super young kids would probably there there there's a lot of uh, stuff going on in this, but I think definitely like your 11, 12 and up year year olds would probably get a kick out of this movie uh, and, and beyond. Uh, there's there's nothing super offensive, I don't think, going on except some violence. There's no real language, I don't think, that I can recall. Nothing, you know, no nudity or anything like that, of course. I think it's rated PG-13, I think. Probably, yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, it's it's not, you know, doing too well at the box office, and I don't think the critics are super thrilled with it. But uh, I kind of found, found it pretty charming, and I, I, I just I like to see these movies in the theater and on the big screen. I think they are, you know people complain about it and and say things like we just get sequels or we get uh, reboots of movies or we get television shows um you know whatever that are turned into movies and so forth i mean yeah this is based on a comic book series but a, a comic book series that most people don't really know uh it, it's not like based on a batman you know or, or a spider-man type of character or anything like that so if you want something different and, and kind of new and original, you know, go check this out. I know, like I said, there's a lot of people say that says, you know, Hollywood is devoid of any new, you know, anything new. <laughs> well, here you go, folks. And, and this just goes to kind of show partially, I think, that the familiar gets people in to the audience. And this is why Hollywood makes what they do. They make Spider-Man for the millionth time. Although the last movie was very good. I enjoyed it. No, you know, no, don't get me wrong, but... Um, but you know this is why they do what they do, why they do a sequel after sequel, why they, why they do familiar things rather than try to take a chance on something new. I wish this movie hadn't cost as much. I mean, I can see it on the screen. I can see why uh, it's it's amazing looking. Uh, it's got some great visuals and things, but uh, it's a little unfortunate because it's going to have a hard time. Maybe it'll get a you know get it back eventually. You know, and overseas. Uh, 
overseas box office and eventual DVDs and Blu-rays and selling it to HBO and cable television or whatever. But uh, again, I, I, I try to go out and support stuff like this because this is what um, I want to see. I want to see some new things each year. And uh, yeah, but um, okay, enough about that. Um, let me, I think, let's let's just take a short little break. Let's take a short break. And I will come back and we'll, we'll cover really quickly some of this, the highlights, some of the stuff that I, I enjoyed seeing out of Comic-Con last week. And then we'll get in talking about uh, the Trek animated series. Hey, Rico, it's Sean from the Rusted Robot Podcast. I have a quick comment for you regarding episode 642 of your show, Robots and Androids. You did an excellent job. Thank you for referencing uh, my guest spot on your show, episode 503, when uh, Bridget and I did androids, cyborgs, and robots from movies. So this one that you did here, 642, was robots and androids from TV, which was a fantastic one. I've been meaning to actually cover this for you for quite a while, but I never did get around to it. You didn't mention any cyborgs, and there's lots to talk about. So perhaps I'll do that one of these days. That would be a lot of fun. But uh, once again, just wanted to say you did a great job, and Thanks for the shout-out. Definitely appreciate it. And I'll just say keep up the great work, as I know you will, because you always do. Uh, You've been an inspiration for my own show. Appreciate all the hours of entertainment. Take care. You rock. All right. There was uh, just a a, a ton of stuff from San Diego Comic-Con this year. And and fortunately, even if you don't go, most of this stuff you can see online, uh, YouTube. You can see panels. You can see all the trailers, uh, just about all the trailers, I should say. <laughs> and yeah, there was a lot, a really, really a lot. Uh, let, let's just run down some things. Let's talk about Marvel a little bit. Um, we've got, of course, um, Black Panther coming. Uh, they had a they had a good panel, and uh, there was there was some new footage and stuff shown. They have uh, a, another, obviously, Marvel. Uh, Tent pole. I was going to say stake pole. Stake pole. Tent pole is um, Thor. Thor Ragnarok, uh, which is coming. They they showed us a new trailer, which gave us a lot more insight into the movie. We saw more Hulk, uh, and uh, yeah, I I thought that was fantastic. There's a lot of humor in it. It looks like too, which is good. You know, Marvel does a good balancing act there. I think of putting some humor in their films without it coming off as campy or or not. You know, like life and death going on here so um and and then of course we've got um the whole defenders thing going on coming next month with with the new uh, netflix uh, series bringing all the you know daredevil uh we've got uh, luke cage um uh, i was gonna say uh power man <laughs> and uh so anyway what am i trying to say here we got Daredevil, Jessica Jones, uh, Luke Cage, and, and Iron Fist, and Danny Rand. Anyway, um, you know that that stuff looks great. The new footage and trailer for that looks fantastic. Uh, I think it's going to be a great show. It's only going to be eight episodes, I think. So wow, that's going to move by fast. Um, there was also you can see I put it up on the Trex and Sci-Fi Facebook group because I saved it, but there was an infinity, an early Infinity War bit of footage trailer thing shown uh, that you can kind of see what's going on a little bit in that film. Uh, of course, Thanos is the big bad guy in that, uh, come to destroy, basically destroy the Earth, I think. 
and you can see quite a few of the Marvel heroes. You see the Guardians of the Galaxy, you see Thor, you see Iron Man, Spider-Man, uh, a quick bit of Captain America, and uh, yeah, so uh, pretty pretty excited by all that. I, I don't even really know where to where to begin, where to end in talking about what came out of Comic-Con this year. Each year, you know, it seems to be amazing, seems to be bigger and bigger. Peter Peter Capaldi was there, of course, with Doctor Who. They had a Stranger Things Season 2 trailer show up, which was fantastic. Seth MacFarlane was there uh, talking about his new, um, new show. Um, is the name of the show The Orville, I think? Uh, I don't know. Is that the name of the show? For some reason, I know it's the name of the ship. I think it's the name of the show, maybe. Um, but, yeah, that looks fun. It looks like a nice sort of sci-fi, Star Trek kind of a spoof show, but looks looks funny. You know, Seth... Seth, Seth uh, boy, I really can't talk today. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Seth MacFarlane is a big Trek fan, so that's... Uh, you know, I think he'll, he'll know what to do and, and how to handle that show. Uh, but, uh, yeah, they had some new stuff from Blade Runner 2049, uh, Legion. Oh, and of course, I, I guessed around this off with, um, we got a lot more on Star Trek Discovery. Boy, they've really started to release a lot more info. Entertainment Weekly this week has got a big, um, preview of the show. I just got my issue. There's some cool covers that are out there that I put up on the Facebook group. And we saw a brand new, pretty extensive trailer. We saw a little bit more of the the crew cast, a little bit more of the Discovery ship. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, this this show is really, uh, you know, because Star Trek has such a following, because it's been 12 years since it's been on television, not movies. And I still consider this television, even though it's going to be on this CBS All Access thing. This is This is not a movie, although they're certainly spending a lot of money. I've heard anywhere up to... Six million or more per episode. I mean, they're they're basically spending Game of Thrones kind of money on this show, if not a little bit more. Uh, so uh, it, it's going to look great. That's you know, there's no question about that. I know that's not everything, but and I know a lot of people are saying, oh, it doesn't look like. How can this be in the prime universe? How can this be ten years before the the original series? It, it, it's very simple, folks. I mean, it really. I, I, I mean, they have two choices really when they did this. They could either try to make it look much like the original or, or you know, the 60s type show or even the cage pilot because that's about more the era of it, which would make it look super retro. It would be kind of looking like the old Buck Rogers shows to a lot of people. And, yeah, maybe they could have modernized that just a tad uh, and, and still been good looking. I would have liked, you know, if it was my personal preference, yeah, I would have liked to have, to try to make it look a little bit more like that style to some degree only to a little degree but they've basically taken you know here's the transporter room here's a bridge here are the uniforms do they look and and meld with the old stuff no because they've got a lot more money to spend and they want to make it look modern for modern audiences it's really very simple you can get past that and try to enjoy it which i'm planning on trying to do or you can just go ah you know what are they doing it's not canon it's not in the prime universe how could it be blah 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 I, I mean, I, I guess I've kind of, you know, it's worn thin with me, the people talking about all that rather than to me again, it all, it'll completely come down to, you know, are the characters engaging? Is it, is, does it feel like Star Trek? Are the stories like Star Trek should be? And so forth. I mean, when Next Generation came on, it, it didn't look like the original series. And granted, it's set 70 years beyond that. But it still had the heart of Star Trek in there, and so did, I think, all the subsequent series. 
So, and, and Enterprise had the same situation where they tried to set it way before Kirk and Spock, and it looked, in a way, a little bit more uh, modern, right? So, yeah, it is what it is. I hate that expression because I use it all the time these days. But you have to kind of basically either decide whether you want to be okay with that and, and move on or not. And, and I, I've seen a lot of people on, a, on our Facebook group, and I know a lot of people in general that are going to give it a shot. And, that, and that's all I, I think people should do. Give it a shot. See what you think. They're going to put the first episode up on uh, – uh, it'll be on uh, regular television on CBS here in the States. And, and then um, – if you have CBS All Access, I think the story is that what I've heard is the second episode will be available that same day, uh, I think, uh, or the very next day maybe, but I think it's the same day. Uh, it, you know, it's kind of like they think they're going to show the pilot on television. And then, hey, if you want to watch more, immediately you can go to the CBS All Access thing and watch the very next episode. And they also are, I think they're doing like 15 episodes total for the first season and they're going to break it up into kind of two parts i don't know how much of a space they're going to be between i think it's like the first eight episodes are going to be shown then there'll be a little bit of a pause like a we get you know mid-season breaks for television that'll probably take us to close to you know the holiday season here in the states i guess if they start on the 24th of september october november that'll get us to about thanksgiving time here uh, and then there'll be some kind of a break of probably, I'm guessing it'll probably be a couple of months and then we'll get the other, what it'll be seven episodes. That's the plan at least. But, uh, you know, I think it looks amazing. There's a lot of talk about the main character. There's a lot of talk about, you know, almost sort of a, a re, you know, a rebound from, well, there's maybe too much diversity in this new show, you know, too many different, you know, there's, there's aliens there, 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 there's, you know, there's an African-American woman, you know, as the main character. There, there's, you know, an Asian woman, you know, in command, blah, blah, blah. You know, again, I I, I guess it's tiring to me that it, it, I get, let's, let's see how it is. Just check it out. And uh, I, I, I don't think it's going to be, I think when people get past some of those things, I, I'm hoping it's going to be good. It would be hard for me to think it wouldn't be after all this time that they couldn't, couldn't put together a good writing team, a good staff to make a good Star Trek show. Uh, but it, it, it'll be all in the eye of the beholder. And uh, I think one of the things that goes on now compared to even back when Enterprise was on the air, I mean, the Internet was around then, uh, but everybody seems to, you know, crawl out and have an opinion about everything. And, you know, between the fact that people are having to pay, you know, for this as a pay-per-view or whatever, you know, a la carte kind of thing, and the the way it looks and, and, you know, some of the behind-the-scenes stuff that's been happening. Also, I think one of the problems, I th in, in my opinion, or one of the things that they've had a hard time handling properly, and I think this has to do with some of the behind-the-scenes things that have gone on, is all of a sudden we're getting a lot of info where we weren't getting anything for a long time. And I think, I think the publicity-slash-marketing group could have done a little better. A lot of this, I think, the delay of things. Sonequa Martin Green is that—that's her name, the main character. Um, she was stuck on Walking Dead, and and that did delay things. And they they really wanted her, so that that created this need to wait. And also, I think it held up some of what they wanted to release to the public. But um, I feel like I'm kind of making excuses in a way. I don't think I am, but I I, I guess I. I 
you know, one of the main things I, or reasons I started this podcast was, as I've said a f- several times, is to keep Trek alive when Enterprise went off the air. And now, 12 long years later, we got a new Star Trek for everybody, and, and there are people kind of grumbling about it. And it's a little disappointing to me somewhat. Uh, it, it's, it, it, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I'm hoping the first few episodes are, are, are really solid and really good, and it gets good of word of mouth, and people just get past some of these concerns that they've got. So, um, okay. I think that's plenty to talk about. We've already gone 20 minutes or more, and I haven't even gotten into the main topic. So a short break. I'm going to come back. We're going to cover, and I've covered Star Trek the Animated Series a few times on on the podcast. I've covered a few individual episodes and things like that. But I wanted to just kind of give you an overview of the show, talk about it, uh, talk about when I first discovered it, talk about how what went into making it and so forth uh, of, of this um you know, between the original series and when they did the movies, this was all that, that popped up and about started in 73. So, uh, yeah, Star Trek animated series or Star Trek the animated series. Let's uh, check this out. And here comes, I think I'll play the uh, the theme song to it now, and that'll segue us into talking about this show. <laughs> are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Okay, the uh, Star Trek animated series. This, uh, it's kind of, to me, kind of a little bit of a, a hidden gem. Maybe not too hidden anymore these days uh, as far as Star Trek goes. But when the original series uh, aired uh, and then was canceled after three years, I'm actually um, reading or listening to an audiobook right now on the, on the making of the original series and into the early movies and things and there's a lot of good interviews with people and insight um what's it called inside star trek the first 50 years or something like that the first no the first 25 years um but um the um and everyone knows a lot of the history of the original series you know it it, it had trouble even coming back for a second season and, and then the big letter writing campaign thing that happened to keep it on for three seasons from the between the second and the third it got the death slot on on uh, Friday nights at ten o'clock in the third season, and then was canceled. Uh, the reason I'm mentioning some of this is this leads into what some of the driving force was for the animated series, uh, because syndication is where really what was when Star Trek took off was when Star Trek became uh, started this long running franchise trend that basically got enough people uh, interested fans and um, supporting the show to bring it back into um, the animated series to bring it back into movies to bring it back into further television shows 
So that all hinged on getting three, at least three seasons of the original series. If the original series had only managed to get one or two seasons, it would not have gone into syndication. And it would have probably never gone on to an animated series, gone on to further Star Trek um, movies and television. So uh, it all hinged on that, syndication. And that's when I first started to watch uh, the original series was syndication. I never uh, watched it in its original run. Um and and the uh, or never was able to even, um, but anyway, I watched it in syndication in the in the 70s, and right around that time when I first started to get into watching the uh, reruns of Trek, this this animated Saturday morning show came on the air. It started in uh, 73, the fall of 73. They only did 22 episodes total. But um, basically, NBC at the time was realizing through how popular the syndicated original series was that they, you know, they probably kind of goofed up when they canceled that show. Uh, and, and there's a lot of that, and I don't want to go into a ton of it. A, a lot of it had to do with Gene Roddenberry's constant kind of conflict with, with the uh, the network and, and the studio and so forth. And, uh, you know, even though it was... At that time, you know, in the death slot of 10 o'clock on Friday night, not getting great ratings, the um, they, they really kind of felt like they got, you know, they kind of got pushed into getting a third season by the fans. I'm getting my, uh, moving around here a little, getting my tea. Sorry, get a little drink. So they got, they got pushed into this third season, but when it went into syndication, it became super popular. So they decided, hey, well, it's going to be way too much cost and money and, and, you know, involved to bring back, you know, Trek, a live action show. Let's do an animated show, right? Seems, seems like a good idea, right? Let's, uh, let's do this. And Saturday morning shows at the time were, you know, cartoony and kitty and, and, and not super serious shows at all. But Star Trek, the idea with doing a Star Trek animated show was it was going to kind of continue the original series style and and some of the morality plays that they did and the they were going to bring back the cast which I'll have I'll talk more about that in a moment so it was going to be you know not a typical Saturday morning cartoon show for kids this was going to be a serious show uh, in a half hour format or really 23 or four minutes something like that uh, that was going to be like just like the original track except animated uh, and that led to them, of course, then trying to get, you know, some of the original team back together, as they say, right? So originally, the network just wanted the big three. They wanted uh, William Shatner, uh, Leonard Nimoy, DeForest Kelly. And then they felt that, um, you know, well, let's get Jimmy doing, you know, he can do some voices and Major Barrett Roddenberry can do some voices. They didn't really want uh, George Takei. They didn't want Walter Koenig. They didn't want Nichelle Nichols. Um, but Leonard Nimoy famously, and he, you know, he did this a, a few times over the years. He, he said, well, no, no, Star Trek's about diversity and we need these other actors and these other characters. So they brought everyone back except for they ran out of money. And basically Walter Koenig, Pavel Chekhov was not brought to do the original or sorry, was not brought from the original show to the animated series and the story is that he learned about it at a star trek convention he learned about <laughs> he learned about the fact that not only was were they going to do an animated star trek series but walter learned that he wasn't going to be part of it so that was kind of embarrassing for him not only learning that they were doing the show but also learning well i guess they're not having me in it uh 
and that's kind of a hard thing to to you know it's like they couldn't have found a little bit more money for that um the uh the show actually did cost quite a bit it cost about seventy five thousand dollars per half hour episode to make uh keep keep in mind that that's only that's about half of what a what the um, live action show was costing them at the end of its run a little bit a little bit under half uh, they were in the about a 160,000 for an, for an hour long so they were spending for a half hour show about half of the live action budget which is incredible when you think about it really right we're talking about an animated show here but keep in mind uh, you know th- this show to create it was not computer you know there were no computers to do this they actually used artist and hand drawn cells they had about 75 artists that would produce about uh, five to 7,000 separate drawings per show with some backgrounds that were stock and other, you know, help and things and other personnel and support. Uh, but um, they they really had a hard time keeping up with this show because they, they only got the green light that they were going to do the show in about April of May or so of 1973. And the plan was they needed 16 episodes to start airing in September of that same year. The show actually ran for two seasons. It was a total of 22 episodes, but basically they kind of did them all more or less at once. They just saved the last six episodes along with rerunning some of the first season episodes for the second season. So a little tricky and a little weird when you think about it because, you know, 16 and 6, if you're splitting 22 episodes, you know, the, the, the better idea would have been to do 11 and 11 or 12 and 10 or something like that. So, but it had to do a little bit with what, what was available and when they needed to be aired and, and, and uh, details like that. Um, so the animated series got going. Uh, they, they were, you know, Leonard, or, uh, sorry, um, Gene Roddenberry, he, he kind of put his name on it. He took a, he took money because he was the creator of Trek but he, you know, Gene always basically said till to pretty much when he passed away that that the animated series is not like official canon Star Trek. He kind of always had this opinion. He wasn't really, uh, from what I can discover, he wasn't really that involved in it. Uh, not like he was in the original series, especially in the early years of the original series. So it uh, it, it was just kind of like not not his thing. So he didn't really consider it real you know, quote unquote, Star Trek. But we'll, we'll talk more about that later on, too, because I, I think it actually is now and has been sort of considered by by the caretakers of Trek, we'll call it, uh, the, the owners of it, more or less, for a few reasons. And, and, and I think it's it's worthy Trek for sure. Um, but they got the uh, they got most of the original cast back. Uh, they they got um, DC Fontana worked on it a bit. They got a lot of uh, people who worked on writing the original series, David Gerald, DC Fontana, and others, back to do shows. Walter Koenig, the weird thing about it, he even wrote, uh, is it one or two episodes? I think he wrote The Infinite Vulcan, and maybe there was another one he was either wrote or he was involved in. I'll have to check here in a moment. But uh, So he's not acting as Chekhov in the show but he wrote an episode so that's kind of interesting and weird in a way so but um but yeah and they brought even back some uh some of the guest people like Roger C. Carmel who played Harry Mudd with which they're bringing Mudd into Star Trek Discovery different um different person playing him of course uh they brought Stanley Adams back who played Cyrano Jones the guy who sells the tribbles to Uhura and Chekhov there in Trouble with Tribbles. Uh, they brought Mark Leonard back as Sarek. 
yeah, so uh, pretty cool, really. And, 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 you know, this show has so many elements and people and, and, and both, in, you know, I was going to say in front of the camera, but both in front of the microphone, uh, behind the scenes, writing it, uh, working on it, that, uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's Star Trek. Um, so one of the, you know, typical things in doing uh, audio recordings and for cartoons or animated things is that you, you don't always really get together with the other people doing the doing the movie or television thing or whatever it is that you're recording, right? You just record your lines. They collect all the lines from the different performers and assemble them. And that is tricky because I, I think there's something to be benefited from when you're recording together, right? I can even remember back when we were recording our own little episodes that I've shown or not shown, but played for some of you who have listened to those episodes of Treks and Sci-Fi. You know, we had this own our, our own starship when I was growing up that we created called the Aurora, uh, the USS Aurora. And uh, my friends and I would play different parts and, and different characters. Well, we were basically playing ourselves, but in Star Trek world. So we kind of kept our names for the most part. And what we would do, though, when we did that, and, and part of this was just, frankly, we were all friends and we got together pretty easily. And, uh, but we would get together around a, a recording, uh, you know, a tape recorder, a cassette tape recorder. And we would record, you know, we each had a script in hand and we would record the lines at the same time. I didn't assemble them. I did do a little of that with some of the people. I had a few people that did some guest parts and I would record them and slip them in when I assembled the episode. But it was more complicated for me. You know, this wasn't, you know, you know, way back before computers and digitally being able to slide things in and around stuff. I had to kind of actually create like a, a final tape. So I'd have the tape that most of the lines were recorded playing and then I dubbed that onto a new tape and then slip in the lines. And it was it, it was a pain in the neck, let me tell you, actually, compared to these days. It, it was a pain. But I'm bringing that up because it, it's similar, you know, in a way to the doing these animated shows. But they did for, for the first, I think it's the first three episodes. Yeah, the first three episodes. And I got some... I got some different uh, stuff together here, like uh, websites open, giving you giving me some up to date background on on some of this and and so forth. But um, but the uh, yeah, and and uh, so they they did um, they did get together for the first few episodes in June of uh, 1973. William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, DeForest Kelly, and all the rest of the cast, except for Walter, of course. Uh, they, they got together at a recording studio located near the corner of Sherman Way, just outside of Hollywood, uh, to record the first three episodes together in a, in a room together. And one thing to keep in mind here is that this was the first time really they all got together and worked on Star Trek after the original series, about four or so years after the original series had been canceled. You know, the whole almost the whole cast was together for the first time. Pretty momentous, actually, when you think about it. And then they would be together again in, in about oh, about five more years or so to start working on the motion picture, uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture, that was originally going to be a new television show, but they went with movies. So a lot of things going on together here, and I, I'm going to take a short break, get a little drink of tea, 
And let me play a little bit um, of one of the early Star Trek animated episodes for you, and then I'll be back in a moment. Personal log, star date 5373.5, subjective time. I have returned to the past in an attempt to restore the future. I am home, and I had almost forgotten its beauty. Earther! Barbarian! Emotional Earther! You're a Tarant, Spock! You could never be a true Vulcan! That is not true! My father, your father brought Shane to Vulcan. He married a human. You haven't even mastered a simple Vulcan neck pinch yet, Earther. My apologies, visitor. I regret you are witness to that unfortunate display of emotion on the part of my son. In the family, all is silence. No more will be said of it. Live long and prosper, Sarika Vulcan. Peace and long life. You are of my family. My name is Selik, an humble cousin descended of Tipel and Sasak. I am journeying to the family shrine to honor our gods. You have a long way to go. Will you break your journey with us for a while, cousin? I am honored. Is something wrong, cousin? No, no. It was only that it seemed I know you. A family resemblance to our forefathers, no doubt. No doubt. Well, come then. Allow me to welcome you to my home. Spock. Spock, being Vulcan means following disciplines and philosophies that are difficult and demanding of both mind and body. Yes, father. You constantly display your emotions. You have even been seen fighting in the street. Yes, father. The time draws near when you will have to decide whether you will follow Vulcan or human philosophy. Vulcan offers much. No war, no crime, order, logic, and control in place of raw emotions and instinct. Once on the path you choose, you cannot turn back. Yes, father. I hope you were not disturbed by my son's behavior, Selig. No, my lady Amanda. Any child has much to learn. My young cousin has a more difficult road to travel than others. You seem to understand him better than my husband. It is difficult for a father to bear less than perfection in his son. Spock will find his way. I hope so. I respect Vulcan and all its traditions, but it is a demanding life. The boy goes through the Kazwan ordeal soon, does he not? Next month. But tomorrow is the 20th day of Tasmin. Yes, is something wrong? I seem to have lost track of time. Soon you will undergo your test of adulthood in the desert. To survive for 10 days without food, water, a weapon on Vulcan's forge will demand more of you than anything ever has. To fail once is not a disgrace for others. If you fail, there will be those who will call you a coward all your life. I do not expect you to fail. What if I do, Father? There is no need to ask that question. You will not disappoint me. Not if your heart and spirit are Vulcan.
Yeah, so that was a bit of uh, from the uh, first episode yesteryear, which is, I think, one of one of the very best, certainly as good as any even original series Trek episode where Spock, uh, they use the Guardian of Forever, and there's a, a problem that uh, they do something in the past on Vulcan that changes things, and, and Spock has to go back and fix it, or else he's basically not aboard the Enterprise, he's not first officer of the Enterprise anymore, and so forth. Uh, real interesting story, and we get to a lot of insight in that episode, and I think I've played that whole one and, and talked about it on uh, Treks and Sci-Fi a long time ago, because it's one of my favorites, but uh, it, it, uh, it it really gives you a lot of background on Vulcan, you get to learn about Aichaya, you know, the, the Selat that, uh, that Spock has that Amanda references in Journey to Babel, and is later referenced in in later uh, on Enterprise, even with Paul mentions it, I think, uh, uh, that that creature. So one of the things that I wanted to point out about all this, you know, is the idea of or the, the commentary about the Star Trek animated series and how it fits into Star Trek lore, how it fits into canon or not. Like I said, Gene Roddenberry really did not want it to be part of Star Trek. He thought there were things in the show that didn't fit with with Trek and and so forth. So, um, but uh, after Gene was gone, and subsequently to that time, they've used elements from and referenced things from the animated series in f- other Star Trek uh, shows. They've talked about some of the things that happened, some of the races, some of the beings, uh, you know, like um, the Kazinti and stuff. So. It, it's come up several times, and so by using and talking about these elements in other Trek shows, it becomes apparent that, you know, that it is part of it, and and it shows up on the official Star Trek website now, and CBS and everybody uses these things and and takes them as, as elements that did happen in the show. The You know, what they were trying to do a little bit here was the original big, you know, with the opening of of the theme for Trek, the, uh, you know, the five-year mission, the original series, of course, only lasted for three years or three seasons. So there was this idea that, oh, well, they never really finished the the show or the five-year mission. And so the animated series was supposed to be like, okay, well, this is how they kind of continued on. There were some things that uh, they put into the original, uh, sorry, into the uh, animated series that weren't in the original, but I think were pretty interesting. Things like the holodeck. Uh, a lot of people think the holodeck started on TNG, but it actually started in the animated series. There was um, the Practical jo- Joker, excuse me, the Practical Joker episode uh, that maybe I should play a clip of that for you here in a moment. But uh, in that episode, there's a, a malfunction with the ship's computer, and there are, some of the crew are on the holodeck. And that that makes the the holodeck kind of go a little wonky. So uh, that I think is a fun thing. And yeah, let me let me see if I can find a clip here. I'll play a play a clip for uh, for you, um, and then we can go on from there about um, talking about the animated series. So here's something from the Practical Joker. Captain's log supplemental. Unusual incidents have continued to plague our crew. Even the perceptive Mister Spock has fallen victim to these simple-minded pranks. Curious. Very curious. What have you got there, Spock? Captain, I found this device on my console. 
it seems to serve no useful function. And... <laughs> Captain? <laughs> I'm s s sorry, Spot. It's your... <laughs> As these little surprises have grown more and more frequent, our crew members have found them less and less amusing. Officer Scott, won't you join us for lunch? No, thanks, Alex. I'm just going to grab a sandwich and get me back to work. Very good. One grilled cheese on right. What of places. Hold it just a doggone minute. And one sandwich, that's all. Somebody turn off this infernal food factory. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Excuse me for laughing, but... Go ahead and laugh. Big joke. I'll bet you two are responsible for this, eh? Hey, wait a minute. We didn't cause this to happen. Tell that to the captain. I'm reporting both of you just as soon as they... Yeah, so there's a little bit of um, of the Practical Joker episode of the animated series for you. I, sh- I should have backed up a-, a little bit and give you a little bit more of... Um, Credits. It, this was the show was produced by Filmation. Uh, it was directed by Hal Sutherland in season one, Bill Reed in season two. Like I said, it had featured most of the original cast, uh, voicing voicing their characters. Uh, said created by Gene Roddenberry in the credits. One of the producers, DC Fontana, worked on this. Um, also, Norm Prescott, Lou Scheimer. Uh, they ran about 24 minutes. Again, produced by Filmation and distributed by CBS uh, Television. The original network um, that it aired on was NBC. It was also, it was originally done in 4x3 um, format, uh, you know, low res, 480 or so. And now it has a Blu-ray edition that came out that I, I purchased. And yeah, it looks cleaner and stuff. You know, this is a very simple animation style. And, and, and that's probably been one of the, eh, people have sort of criticized it over the years that the, you know, the movement and the animation here is pretty crude and sure it is, it is. And, uh, it, it has to do with the way it was produced and how fast it was produced at the time. But, um, it, it, you know, that is the, the era it was made in. It, it fits pretty well with that, I think. Uh, it, it's first started on September 8th, 1973, uh, and then it ended its run uh, in October, October 12th, 1974. So that second season, yeah, super short. Um, but it, it shows up. It still shows up on on, um, on television now and then. Uh, it shows up, uh, of course, you can buy the Blu-ray or DVDs and, and so forth. But again, I think I think some of these episodes are really interesting. I really like the 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 the. In, included in and had two new sort of crew members sort of to fill the gap a little bit by uh no walter koenig especially eric's um who had three arms and three legs uh that was an interesting character and he is voiced by uh james Dewan in the in the show and then they had mores who is uh, a cat like being a cation uh who was voiced by major barrett roddenberry uh, she doesn't show up probably as much as Eric's, I think. They, neither one shows up a ton in the in the show. Uh, but it was interesting that they brought in the animated show more aliens into you know the mix. They brought more aliens onto the bridge. Uh, and I, I like that fact that they um, they were able to do that. You know that was one of the 
the tricky parts of the original show, you know, most of the guest stars and the and the yeah, their adversaries usually were human or hu- very human-like looking. Uh, they didn't have a lot of really crazy-looking aliens, and the animated show allowed them to do um, to do that. You know, they they brought in with Larry Niven's episode, the Slaver Weapon, with the Kazinti and the Slavers. Uh, I think uh, the, the the one of the unique things about this is this is the only. Uh, probably the only Trek TV episode that, that, uh, or even movie story, uh, with the original crew that Kirk doesn't appear in, uh, there, there's a good trivia question for you, <laughs> but, uh, I, I, this is Larry Niven's, uh, it was adapted sort of from a, a short story of his called the soft weapon. But, uh, this one was a super unique and unusual story about this weapon that had all these different weird settings on it and it could it could go from a very simple simple very low powered kind of a weapon to to really almost like a doomsday device where it could destroy a whole planet and uh let me find uh let me find a little bit of something with the um the slaver weapon because i think that's one of the standout episodes of the animated series What would this be? I have no idea. It is generating power. There is a grid. It may be another communications device. But that seems redundant. It has a Kazenti frightened. The Kazenti have legends of weapons haunted by their owners. Could it be a voice-activated mechanism? No. It appears to be conversing with them. A reasoning computer that small. How long has it been since you were turned off? I do not know. When I am off, I have no sense of passing time. What is the last thing you remember? We were on a mission. I may not tell you of it unless you know certain cold words. If you could describe the positions of the stars in your sector, we would know how much time has passed since then. Without certain cold words, I may not describe our location. One of the settings on this weapon was a total conversion beam. We saw it. Tell us how to find it. Twist my winter shins until you reach the null position. Then... They've got it. There must be something we can do. Most peculiar. That was not the total conversion beam setting. Like others, this form seems to possess no gun sight. It may be a broad beam weapon for use only from orbit. We saw its power. I suggest you fire at a very distant target. Very well. We can't let them have that weapon. They are not about to get it, Lieutenant. Why not? Assume you are a slaver war computer. You've been turned off. You do not know for how long. But when you were turned off, there was a war on. Now you are awakened by aliens you never saw before. They do not know any of the military passwords. They ask you so many questions, it is obvious they know little about you. Your owner is nowhere about. What would you think? I'd think I'd been captured by the enemy. 
or an enemy at least. And when they asked you how to find your most powerful weapon setting, what would you give them? Activate life support belts. A disruptor field. Yes, another conventional weapon. It appears the total conversion beam was the only thing the slavers had that we do not. No sign of the weapon, of course. It would have looked nice in some museum. It never would have reached the museum, Lieutenant. There was too much power in that one setting. If not the Kazinti, the Klingons or some other species would have tried to possess it. Yeah, so there you go. There's a little of Larry Niven's uh, The Slaver Weapon. I think it's a good one. Uh, a lot of good ones, really, in, in this. You, you get to see Robert April, the original captain of the Enterprise. You get to see the holodeck. You get to see those uh, cool force field belts. Um, one of the things I learned recently while I was listening to this um, early uh, makings of the original series was in the episode of the Tholian Web, their, their first idea really was to not have spacesuits for when they go over the to uh, the Defiant, they were going to have like a force field kind of belt, you know, so you could see more of the actor rather than him being encased in a spacesuit. Uh, they thought that would be better, but they uh, so they used this idea of a force field belt, uh, you know, to create an atmosphere around the person and protect them uh, in the um, the slaver weapon episode. But the uh, you know most of the time they recorded, unlike those first few episodes. They were doing it in different locations, you know, around, uh, I know they say Shatner was traveling quite a bit. Uh, he was actually, you know, in different places, and he would just record the lines and then send the tapes in uh, to them to work into the episodes. Uh, yeah, so uh, I've always really enjoyed the animated series. I can I can remember way, way back um, watching it uh, on Saturday. And uh, and also the, you know, when you when we only had... The original 79, you know, syndicated episodes of Star Trek uh, to keep us company, <laughs> and, and not even really any novels per se. A couple of them started to come out. Uh, you you had this new group of 22 animated episodes of Star Trek. Uh, you know, another, what, a third more uh, episodes added to the mix or something like that um, when you count the original. So, yeah, there was a... And they had the... Um, you know, they had some really interesting characters. Bem, uh, we have Cyrano Jones come back and more Tribbles, more Troubles with David Gerald writing that again. Uh, and, and just diff different thoughts, you know, different thinking and, and ideas here that we never saw in the original series. And, and the the story is, is that if it had gone on, if it had lasted longer, they would have um, they would have had to showed the ship coming home after its five year mission. Uh, the, the show actually won an Emmy. It, it's um. It, the, the show itself won a children's show Emmy for in 1974, so it was it was you know very well regarded. I, I'm really still not quite sure uh, exactly why they only let it last or have have it last. Maybe it was just the budget and and how much it took to produce this kind of a show. Um, but uh, you know, 22 episodes out on DVD, out on Blu-ray, uh, Star Trek the Animated Series. I hope this has got, you know, if you've never seen it, you certainly should check it out uh, if, you, if you're a Star Trek fan. It, it, it's kind of a little, like I say, kind of a hidden gem in a way. Um, and, and un, you know, 
if, if you take away like some of the current fan films, like Star Trek Continues is going to have a new episode up today, which I already got a preview of because I'm a supporter, a Kickstarter supporter. It's pretty good. It's got a lot of good current day uh, qualities to it. But I was going to say, without this, the fan films that have been done set in the original series time frame, the animated series is about all you have for that that era, that look, and that feel with the original cast too as well so uh all right let me take a very little break here and uh uh a short break and i'll come back and we'll wrap up uh the podcast for today this is robert picardo the holographic doctor from star trek voyager saying hello to all the listeners of treks in sci-fi Okay, I hope everyone enjoyed uh, this brief look at the Star Trek animated series this week. Talked a little bit about Comic-Con, Valerian. Oh, I also saw War for the Planet of the Apes. Good movie. Solid movie. Uh, I still, of the new ape trilogy that they've done, I still kind of enjoy, actually, the first one, I think, actually, the best. Uh, but um, but I, this one was a good one. It was a good one, too. So, uh and we've got next week the Dark Tower coming out. That movie, uh, based on the long, uh, you know, series of Stephen Co- Stephen King books. So uh, that's uh, kind of winding down the summer movie uh, run. I think I got to see that um, Atomic Blonde movie too. I want to see that. It's not sci-fi really, but uh, it looks cool. So um, next week we're going to have a guest cast. Uh, hoping to get somebody here uh, to do a guest show for next weekend. In two weeks, on the 13th of August, there'll be Trek again, probably. Probably cover some Star Trek episode from one of the main series. Uh, The 20th will be another guest show. And the 27th, I think, of August is when I'm going to target for my my anniversary show. I think that's what's going to happen. It might be the following weekend. I usually like to do it over Labor Day weekend, but... I'm, I'm, you know, kind of undecided which one it'll be. Might be that weekend, might be the following. But uh, that's what's coming up in August. Not a lot of detail there yet. But um, anyway, folks, a uh, couple last things. If you want to support the show, patreon.com forward slash treks in sci-fi is the best way to do that. A dollar or two a month to help support the uh, the hosting fees and other add-ons and hardware that I buy for the show and details. Uh, that'll be great uh, if you would like to support the show. Very much appreciate those that do that, and if you'd like to join in, uh, that would be cool. And I think that's about it. Uh, I'll probably put up a little music video on vimeo.com forward slash Trekkie of my trip to Germany. Uh, If you're interested in that, uh, I will probably have that up here in the next few days, maybe, hopefully, if I get some time. So that's it. Uh, It was good doing a show again. I think my voice is kind of dying, though. Uh, But uh, I hope everybody's enjoyed it. I'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.
This has been a Rico Dusty podcast production.